RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. If you remember back about a month or so in that sort of ballpark, uh, we were talking with Katie Ashby Coppins uh, from Reality Check Radio about her presentation to the OGA. And she will explain again who the OGA are. They're an American uh, governmental uh, organization regards the international health regulations. Now we're going to talk about her presentation to um, or regarding the pandemic treaty, the WHO pandemic treaty, a separate thing on June the 28th, so not too long ago. And Katie joins me. Hello again, Katie. Good morning, Paul. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So you had another <laughs> another round of this. We uh, heard about uh, the first uh, presentation and uh, we heard uh, clips from that. So um, just so everybody is reminded and know that we're talking about two separate things here, but they're kind of related, but two separate things. Correct, correct. They're very closely aligned, um, but they're two separate things. Uh, so the international health regulations are the regulations that uh, New Zealand uh, signed up to uh, originally, I think was in 68, and they came into a force in 69. Yep. We've had two uh, amendments of the international health regulations, or two substantive amendments since then. Um, the next one after the SARS pandemic in um, 2005, and then um, the ones that are being proposed at the moment following um, the last pandemic. So that's the international health regulations. Uh, we are essentially effectively signed up to those uh, by virtue of being a member of the um, World Health Organization. And uh, as a consequence, uh, you know, those are amendments. They are not uh, a new treaty. Uh, yeah. So there's a nuance there. Uh, but then separately, we've got this uh, WHO uh, CA plus it's been called, but it's also been described as a pandemic treaty, which is effectively an accord, uh, which is setting up and establishing uh, a, a um, uh, infrastructure and uh, massive trade mechanism, uh, all effectively sponsored by the uh, state members uh, with large percentages of uh, their overall health budgets being, um, uh, you know, dictated dedicated uh, at the WHO's um, direction to, to the WHO under this pandemic treaty. And um, it's, it's quite interesting because it, the pandemic accord is an entirely new uh, document and concept, but it is establishing um, and uh, encouraging and requiring member states to submit or to monitor their people and then to submit all of the information, data, gene uh, information to the WHO uh, and WHO-specified organisations. Uh, bacteria and viruses will have to be provided, potentially centralised um, in one or two uh, uh, virological uh, labs and, uh, you know, who knows what's going to go on in those sorts of places. Uh, so it's an unfettered, unbridled, uh, tyrannical, dictatorial power uh, all yeah, in the name. Any word you can think of to describe. It's um, incredible. And the document, the document is very alarming. Yeah, there doesn't seem to actually be any obvious need for this. This, I mean, we've been traveling around the world and there's been all sorts of things for millennia, and this is suddenly some kind of issue. And no one has asked the citizenry. Nope. So, you know, just saying. Um, remind us again who the OGA is. So the um, OGA is the Office of Global Affairs. Um, it's the diplomatic voice of the United States uh, Department of Health and Human Services. 
Um, and they essentially are heavily involved in the World Health Assembly and the World Health Organization, and a significant number of their um, members uh, or, or staff are uh, very well entrenched in um, the processes and uh, decision-making of the who, the hey, the, or the way, all of them. Okay. So um, I remember, you know, when we chatted last time, how the format was when you were talking about the international health regulations and James Rogusky, who's been on this program a few times now, I think was um, um, a, a co-submitter, I, I guess you'd describe him as. And same again. So can you tell us about what happened this time around? Maybe we can hear some audio from it and, and sort of take us through it. No trouble. So uh, I think there was two listening sessions uh, hosted by the Office of Global Affairs with respect to the pandemic treaty. Uh, I only saw um, the one that I attended. It was a two o'clock in the morning, uh, scratch the sleep from my eyes uh, presentation. Yeah. Uh, but it was a similar number of people that attended the uh, WHO pandemic treaty feedback. Two minute session offered uh, to us uh, all and we each presented and gave our thoughts and feedback uh, to the uh, three office um, of global affairs uh, staff and uh, you know hopefully they heard two of them I think were the same as the international health um, regulations OGA listening session uh, and then two of them were uh, different so right. there was a noticeable uh, a, a noticeable different head of responsibility uh, with respect to the pandemic treaty as well as uh, the international health regulations. So the distinction has been made. Okay. What are we going to, or who are we going to listen to first, do you think then? I thought it might be best to listen to the introduction of uh, that was given so that it gives context uh, and then you can hear uh, all of these reassurances that they endeavour to make. Uh, and then I thought maybe we could jump on and listen to what James has to say uh, then followed by my presentation. Okay, so let's listen to the, what do you call it, the introduction or? The introduction. Yeah, okay. So let's listen to that now. Hello, everybody. I'm uh, Pamela Hamamoto. I'm the lead negotiator for the United States in the pandemic accord uh, negotiating process. Um, thank you all for joining us today. Um, so I wanted to start by reiterating that the United States remains committed to the negotiation of the global pandemic accord. Uh, that ensures we are all better prepared to confront future pandemics. We intend to continue to help shape the accord over the next year, and ultimately we hope the U.S. can join the agreement. The feedback that you all provide us uh, throughout this process is very important to us. We view the IMB process as well as the IHR um, amendment review, which is also currently underway, as valuable opportunities to strengthen the U.S.'s ability and the world's ability to prepare for and respond to future pandemic threats. <clears throat> the COVID-19 pandemic reinforced that threats to global health require rapid, effective, and sustained international cooperation. By applying the lessons learned from COVID-19 and other outbreak response efforts, we aim to ensure that we are better equipped when another pandemic threatens. These negotiations are an opportunity to build upon more than 20 years of strong bipartisan U.S. leadership in global health, from HIV, AIDS, malaria prevention, and child survival, 
to the global health security architecture and responses to Ebola and COVID-19. Following our negotiating session in June, the Bureau attempted to synthesize member state input and identify areas of convergence and areas of divergence on key issues. That document is called the Bureau's text and it's a document member states are currently reacting and responding to. The Bureau's text is not all inclusive and thus it does not include all feedback from delegations, non-state actors and other external stakeholders. There are aspects of this text that we support and other aspects that we do not support. And we are interested in your constructive feedback so that we can factor it into our work. For the United States, we believe the pandemic accord should include agreement on action to enable rapid and more equitable response to health emergencies in order to save lives and their acute phases more rapidly and promote swifter economic recovery build global health security and pandemic preparedness capacity to prevent, detect, and respond to health emergencies and build inclusive, adaptive, and resilient health systems. Reduce pandemic threats posed by zoonotic diseases by enhancing multi-sectoral action, including One Health approaches, and decrease zoonotic spillover. Establish sustainable and effective financing, governance, and accountability mechanisms to break cycles of panic and neglect. In order to respond more rapidly and increase equity, we would also like the accord to provide more clearly defined rules for transparency, disease surveillance, and early response to outbreaks. Provide a more comprehensive approach to data and sample sharing to enable faster detection, prevention, and response and improve equity in access to medical countermeasures, including through strengthened local and regional manufacturing capacities and clearer rules for engagement and coordination. These actions must be done in a way that will not compromise the ability of American citizens to make their own healthcare decisions. The administration will not support any measure at the World Health Organization, including in these negotiations, that in any way undermines or compromises U.S. sovereignty or security. Our priority, first, last, and always, is the protection of the American people and defending the sovereignty of the United States of America. As noted, I am representing the U.S. government in these negotiations, which includes the interests of the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the rest of the Department of Health and Human Services, the Secretary of State and the rest of the Department of State, many other departments and agencies, and the White House, and I'm committed to ensuring that my team and I represent and protect all U.S. equities. Any accord resulting from these negotiations would be designed to increase the transparency and effectiveness of cooperation among nations during global pandemics and would in no way empower the WHO or any other international body to impose or oversee national actions. We look forward to hearing your thoughts on the Bureau's text. Thank you. Everything you'd expect to hear and uh, the kind of words you expect to hear. So that was the introduction. Great. Um, and then the two-minute allotted uh, presentations. And we're going to hear James Rogowski first, are we? I thought so. Uh, yep. And then I just would lead on from there. Okay, well, let's hear James. My name is James Rogowski, and I speak for myself. It's obvious that the Bureau's text is not the result of a member nation-led process 
because the edited down bureaucracy's text is hiding the true intent of the original compilation text, which is being kept secret. You are asking us to comment on something that we are not allowed to see. It's obvious that the bureaucracy's text is really a venture capital investment prospectus designed to pump tens of billions of dollars annually into the pharmaceutical hospital emergency industrial complex under the guise of equity. It's obvious that any discussion of a worldwide WHO laboratory network, a pathogen access and benefit sharing system, a logistics network and the sharing of intellectual property are clearly international trade issues that belong under the purview of the World Trade Organization, not the WHO. You are the wrong people in the wrong place doing the wrong thing for all the wrong reasons. It's obvious that the bureaucracy's text is not a treaty or an accord. Please stop calling it that. It is a framework convention that is filled with conflicts of interest that would set up a cabal of unknown, unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats who would be given seats at the table with the conference of the parties and then be able to implement detailed protocols that we the people would have no way to stop. It's obvious that the bureaucracy's text is not designed to improve health, but to implement the One Health approach in order to constantly search for so-called pathogens with pandemic potential that could be used to fearmonger and control the population while censoring the truth. And finally, it's obvious that these listening sessions are a thinly veiled charade because you have ignored the 33,884 public comments submitted in April of 2022, as well as the hundreds of videos submitted last September in which we clearly expressed our demands. If you have additional comments, you're welcome to um, submit them via written comments. Well, that came to a bit of a sudden stop at the end. Had he run out of time or the, the woman there just wasn't a fan of what he was saying? She was so ruthless on time. Um, right. know, no leeway whatsoever. I mean, he was making his final point. He said it was his final point. And yeah. Two minutes. Kind um, of robotic sounding, I have to say. So I think when we spoke to him after the last presentation, we had him on and he called it a framework convention. And correct. I think he framed the whole thing as a venture capital pitch more in the area of trade than anything to do with medical. So he's still saying that, obviously. Yeah. And look, it doesn't take you long to read through the document to see that that's exactly what it's about. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, being produced under the guise of health by an organization that's supposedly there for the people. Yeah, I still haven't heard any comment from any New Zealand politician. I think that I did hear something uh, from... Winston in respect to, you know, no sovereignty will be lost by our Very country. general, though. Nothing very specific. general, nothing specific. Uh, there has been certainly some commentary um, uh, around it, but definitely no uh, active commentary. I've actually got the opportunity to present to um, senators and members of parliament in Canberra uh, in the second week of August. Right endeavouring to also ask for opportunities to speak with various uh, MPs, really just to inform them about what's going on, uh, because it is quite closeted uh, what is going on. It's quite, there's a lot of detail to it, uh, how it impacts on the country. Um, 
I put constitutionally in quote marks, given we don't have a formal constitution, but we still have constitutional constitutional concepts and constructs. Uh, you know, the, it is it is quite complicated, but it's you know also quite straightforward when you just distill it in, in, into the key facts. So uh, hopefully, I'll be able to replicate the opportunity to appear and present. Uh, as I get to do with the Australian government to do also with the New Zealand government. Well, you, you though could assume that there are enough people thinking about this and aware of it, especially our listeners, and they would have hit the inboxes of politicians. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't doubt that whatsoever. And as I, I think I've done a call out before, anyone that is actively working in this area in New Zealand, uh, I don't want to cross cross anything that anyone's doing more than happy to join the team and be involved. Uh, but I just don't really know who else is out there uh, doing it. But there's been some fabulous articles that have been written to date, uh, some really great suggestions uh, identifying uh, who's who in the zoo um, that is the who uh, for the New zoo Zealand. Who, yeah, okay, yeah. And, um, you know, suggesting who's right to. There's been some great Official Information Act requests that have elicited some information uh, because it's not blatantly clear who. Uh, in the Department of Health or MFAT uh, is, is responsible for or would be signing away our rights uh, if they fail to uh, put in an active express rejection of the uh, IHR amendments. They wouldn't want to be identified as too risky for them, I'm assuming. That's correct. And some of the responses to date have simply just given you a generic email box to a department or a, a department within a department. Uh, so I think I'm going to have a page up on, um, or I'm getting the opportunity to put a page up on the website under um, the contributor page. So that will actually have a lot more information in it, including uh, the information that I've managed to uncover and who you can write to and what you can do. Uh, but it also will give you a lot more detail and condense everything uh, down so that it's a readily reliable resource on those things that people are asking the questions about, such as, you know, global travel passports um, and, mm. and the like. Okay. And then you gave your two minutes worth. So I did. So because it was only two minutes, um, yeah. there was a slightly longer uh, version. So I thought I'd give you the version um, that was submitted. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's not much longer, but it just hits on a couple of key points because we've got uh, our dear Ashley, Sir Ashley uh, Bloomfield, who is um, uh, involved and a key contributor in this uh, situation uh, and in these negotiations. So that's interesting because he was at the absolute center of the whole COVID nightmare craziness. So we can only assume that he is not working in our best interests based on his form. His um, as I understand it, he is the co-chair of the working group uh, for the IHR amendments. Yeah. Because the IHR amendments are, I guess you'd say, inextricably linked to the pandemic treaty or accord, uh, you know, there's obviously a crossover there, albeit there's two separate um, working groups that have been set up uh, to manage and deal with both, which you have to understand, or you've got to query why, Um which if it's in response to a pandemic, why have multiple uh, documents? But who yeah. knows? Well, he's a faithful servant, isn't he? Okay, so let's hear your, it's not the full thing as it happened on the day, but we're going to hear the full thing here, right? Correct. Okay, so let's uh, listen to that now. 
Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you at the stakeholder listening session held by the Office of Global Affairs on the proposed pandemic treaty. My name is Katie Ashby Coppins and I am Head of Legal for Voices for Freedom New Zealand, a grassroots not-for-profit community advocacy organisation focused on raising awareness of the human issues associated with the government's response to COVID-19 and other matters impacting the rights and freedoms of New Zealanders. I am also a United States citizen born in Washington. The WHO is creating a pandemic treaty or accord of what is now accepted was a man-made virus that allowed the world to grind to a halt, destroyed lives and livelihoods of millions, and required people to be vaccinated with an untested and untrialed experimental drug that has caused widely reported injury and death. There have been no efforts made to investigate that man-made virus leak, to hold those responsible accountable, to learn from that release, to impeach those involved for lying, or to condemn, outlaw, or sanction the countries companies and corporate interests that benefited at the cost to each and every one of us. Nor has there been any inquiries into the catastrophic political response in the name of health. Where are the court cases, the investigations and decisions equivalent to the US v Brandt, the Nuremberg trial held after the Second World War? Where is the upholding of the ethical research principles for human experimentation that were created in that presidential case? Where is the condemnation of those who committed such atrocities that will again be felt for generations to come? Surely if there is any role of the United Nations and the World Health Organization, it is that. Certainly the end of World War II is a reason for both of those organizations' existence. Is it because the United States was involved? Mr. Fauci has now confirmed that he financially supported gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab, the same lab where the man-made virus allegedly leaked. It does not go without notice that Mr. Robert Kennedy has not been sued for his book, The Real Anthony Fauci. Is that because the defence to defamation is truth? Dr. Ashley Bloomfield from New Zealand has been knighted for his services to public health, namely his work leading to the government's response during COVID-19. Dr. Bloomfield is also the co-chair to the IHR Working Group on the proposed amendments to the International Health Regulations and had this to say about the IHR amendments and the proposed pandemic treaty. These two processes are complementary as they are both guided by the imperative of making the world safer from communicable diseases and ensuring equitable responses to public health threats. The efforts to update the international health regulations and to draft a pandemic accord share a number of common themes, including the importance of equity and access to health, collaboration and capacity building. It is important that there is consistency and alignment across the two processes. The world would have been a much safer place without virology labs making cocktails out of viruses and supercharging infections in the name of health. Our health officials have failed us. They have failed themselves. They have failed to uphold the Hippocratic Oath of first do no harm in favour for the hypocrite's oath of do as I say, not as I do. How can we trust the World Health Organization, an organization that ports to be about world health when its only accurate statement this whole pandemic was? There are currently no efficacy or safety data for children below the age of 12 years. Until such data are available, individuals below 12 years of age should not be routinely vaccinated. Yet that statement was removed from the WHO's website the very day we launched and heard the High Court case in New Zealand to protect Kiwi kids and then it was scrubbed from all archived versions of the website. Notably, Dr. Bloomfield was the first defendant in that case. 
The WHO does not stand for health, and it has undermined the trust people once held in it. There is no desire by the WHO to fulfil its duty to hold those accountable for this atrocity so that this does not happen again. Alas, the proposed treaty will favour virological and bacterial labs, protect scientists, search out pathogens which it will dangerously centralise, and allow big pharma to flourish further, none of which will be beneficial to your health or mine. What is proposed in the pandemic accord will only exacerbate the tyranny we have experienced over the last three and a half years. What is proposed will see unelected officials granted unfettered power to make unchecked and unfettered decisions for countries. Countries will be held financially liable to the organisation while forfeiting their ability to make appropriate decisions for their citizens in favour of dictates from an unelected, conflicted global organisation. Under the pandemic treaty, we will be more at risk of human nature than mother nature. I call on all democratic countries that value their sovereignty to resign from the WHO. It does not mean that health recommendations from the WHO cannot be followed and implemented. It means we have a choice of whether to follow and implement them if the advice is correct and right for our country. I call on New Zealand, Australia and the United States to resign from the WHO immediately. It's funny because Trump is going to pull out of the WHO. Just Correct. saying. Okay, remember that? Okay, and it's kind of embarrassing that one of our guys is at the centre of this. I find that quite cringy, I've got to say. That's just me. But th- that was good. That was um, that sort of hit all the points pretty hard. Okay, we can pull out of the who. Why would we even want to follow anything they say anyway? But I guess we, we could if we wanted to. Well, it, we have the choice then. Yeah. You know, if, if they have a valuable, useful recommendation. Yeah. It might be, um, there might be one that, you know, we wish to follow. Yeah, but we don't need to be right in the tent necessarily at all. Nope. Yeah. It doesn't. Uh, and, this, and this is what um, I guess a lot of our listeners would like to hear politicians talking about. Yeah, that's correct. That's that, that's really important, especially with the um, IHR amendments that are um needing to be rejected by uh, November this year. And that's in respect to the Article 59 proposed amendments that were adopted by the World Health Assembly back in uh, May of last year. Those are the changes to the timeframes under uh, the international health regulations, which pull in the time for rejection and also implementation. That is a very narrow, small window of the IHR amendments, which have to be rejected by November this year. That's only a month after the election or within a month. Yes, that's exactly And there could be a change of government. So we need to know, actually, from whoever could, because it looks like this current lot are going to go down. We need to know, given the time frame and the pressure of that, we need to know now, what are they going to do? Correct, correct. So um, once uh, Canberra's out of the way, then I will strongly lobby all of the parties and I'll um, endeavour to do so with the support of Reality Check Radio because this is a, a something that should be a uh, campaign position that's being um, espoused by you know the parties so that we know what's going on. Unless you've already bought in. Unless you've already bought in. There is, uh, the comments I have seen today have been quite dismissive of oh, it's not going to happen or we won't lose our sovereignty and things like that. But really? there's no, there's no <laughs> engagement with, with this. The effect of the proposed IHR amendments, which need to be rejected by November, 
is the shrinking of these timeframes. If we then get another set of amendments, which are currently being drafted and considered this week by the working group uh, to the WHO, so uh, Ashley will be up in Geneva uh, working on these and hopefully considering the strong criticisms made by the review committee to these uh, more detailed uh, or substantive IHR amendments, it uh, will mean that those amendments will go only have 10 months to consider those amendments and then 12 months to implement them. Whereas at this point in time, I think there's an 18-month opportunity to reject them and then a 24-month implementation. What's the bet that Sir Ashley has already sat down with the other politicians? Because in his role with his, you know, status, let's say, um, his role in the WHO status here at home, he must have sat down with these people one-on-one already. He must have. Chances Look, are. I, I, I can't say. I know. No, that. I know you can't say, but we could, you know, you why wouldn't you? He's a sir. He, he's, you know, he's the hero of the moment. He's the co-chair of that uh, WHO panel, whatever they call it. Of course he sat down with them. Of, of course. He wouldn't be doing his job if he hadn't. He'd be useless to the WHO if he had. Yeah, look, I think he's made uh, endeavoured to give himself an air of independence and not representing New Zealand in a few of the communications that I've seen. Um, he suggests that his role is one of neutrality. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, how can you be neutral yet uh, <laughs> throw your Look at the track record. The <laughs> look at the track record. That, yeah, I mean, isn't that so correct? Actions speak louder than words. Totally. So that so I'm assuming that those politicians they already know. I would anticipate that uh, they should uh, appropriate ministers should be being informed from the relevant um, internal departments of MFAT and the Department of Health and the opposition politicians and the opposition. Because, because Sir Ashley will be anticipating a change of government possibly. Correct. Anyway, <laughs> just my imagination running away again. Anyway, so is there any more to report um, on that? And you mentioned that you, you're submitting to the what well, the uh, federal government in Australia and Canberra, and then will you use the same kind of format there if the opportunity is arises here in New Zealand? Is that the plan? Yes, hoping to. Um, yep. would, I, it would be good to understand uh, if there's any groups in New Zealand that are and what they're doing, and if there's any support that I could provide in the form of lobbying, uh, and you know, just assisting with the strategy around that, then you know, welcome people to reach out to uh, Reality Chicken uh, Radio Inbox, uh, and those messages will no doubt get through to me. Uh, yeah. Okay, Katie. Well, interesting to get the latest uh, iteration of this. Katie Ashby Cobbins, head of legal for VFF. Uh, thanks for that update, Katie, and we'll we'll get back with you for the Legal Hub next week. Thanks, Paul. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great morning. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.